This is Business Beyond Bizarre, a podcast of the slightly unusual. Here's your host, Peter Anthony Holder. Hello and welcome to Business Beyond Bizarre a podcast that will take you off the beaten path, introducing you to people who have slightly quirky hobbies or businesses. Paul Mason has been a fashion model for quite some time now. He has that ruggedly handsome look that explains why he's been so successful for so long. But a few years ago, back in 2015, he switched gears. He grew a beard, donned the festive colors of Christmas, and became a more fit, buffed version of jolly old St. Nick. He became Fashion Santa. Prior to 2015, I was living in New York, and as you mentioned, I, I did have a quite a big career there. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. I moved home. Eventually, unfortunately, she passed away. And in my grief, I just stopped shaving. So the idea of Fashion Santa kind of came out of a, kind of a sad moment, but... Yeah, so that's how it started. And now, through the success of Fashion Santa, uh, her legacy will live on for as long as I I am doing it. Paul has not only raised the aura of Fashion Santa to pretty lofty heights, but he's also done it while highly needed funds go to charities as well. Yeah, see, that's the thing about this character that when I started, I was like, I think the old, you know, I'm not trying to compare myself or I'm not trying to compete with St. Nick or Jolly St. Nick or Santa Claus. It's just a character that is like sort of like modern, kind of like 2.0, a little bit. I don't make toys, but I want to bring awareness to initiatives and causes and and various charity elements like that. So you could say it's like more of a modern day Santa giving back this way. As a successful fashion model, Paul was used to the glare of publicity and press, but still, the viral sensation of Fashion Santa was not something he was prepared for. Okay, so this is how it was, and because I'm a little bit older, I didn't understand the viral sensation of what it means to go viral. So when we launched, the local news picked it up, and then the national news picked it up, and then it was just like, oh my goodness, like all the media around the world were picking this story up as the alternative fashion, right, as the alternative Santa, and I was just like, this is not usual, like for me, and so... To sum it up, I mean, the, the success of that story of 2015, we, we had about, I'm not, gonna, I'm not lying to you here, between two and three billion impressions. It was every story of every media outlet in every country when it launched and it took off. Between two and three billion impressions. Now that is the definition of mega viral. When he first embarked on this holiday journey, some people in his industry thought he was making a wrong turn. They thought it was crazy. Friends and family were all the support. My industry colleagues and my peers, on the other hand, thought it was a little bit off. And maybe, what am I doing standing inside a shopping mall as this guy when you've had such a long career as a model? But I'm kind of ferocious and I believe in the character that I created. I've been in advertising long enough to know that there probably could be a niche for this kind of new Santa Claus or new uh, Santa 2.0. It's been close to a decade since he created Fashion Santa. Did he ever foresee that it would have longevity or did he just hope that it would? A lot of people 
may not realize, but when it was launched, it was launched in 2015, but there were some legal legalities following like success of Fashion Santa, which took about two years. Then we went into like COVID. So it's been a challenge from the moment that it launched to where, where we're at today. So I'd like to think that I'm just getting started because I've had a lot of blockades or just like obstacles in my way to make this more successful. And it, but it is truly true. I mean, it's, it's very, very popular on a global level, actually. And now that his corporate legal wranglings are behind him, he can really focus on the charity aspect of his mission. Anything that's going to be merchandise will have an element of a charity component attached. So again, I, as I have to say, I'm just getting started. And now I've now teamed up with another initiative called Save the Child's Heart. This is another charity and it's really dear to my heart because, pardon the pun, but I had open heart surgery when I was four years old. These kids are having heart surgery six months to 18 years old, and I locked into a great initiative. It's a non-for-profit that primarily kids all over the world that cannot get cardiac surgery to change their lives. They will take a child and fly them to Israel, do this surgery, at the mother and uh, the recovery, and change the child's life. What started basically in the Yorkdale Mall of his hometown of Toronto truly is a global phenomenon. But where does Fashion Santa have his most fans? Well, my home audience is uh, obviously a huge support for the character. But I've learned that if you break it down, you know, on social media, it seems like Toronto is like a big one. But I have New York and the UK, I have London, also Mexico and Eastern European countries. Oddly enough, I had a big audience in Russia. So like Santa should be, it's global and it will be. And when the marketing end of the brand or the character gets into full steam, it will be a global brand. And most of his fans are adults. What do they ask him as opposed to when kids come into contact with Fashion Santa? Yeah, well, I am totally the adult Santa. If I'm in a, in a situation in a shopping center or something, it's a, a big point to not place me closer to anything children related because it's just too confusing for them to see me in red and with a big white beard because they're they're brutal i mean children are very honest and so i've i've done a couple of events with the boys and girls club of miami for example and gone into uh, into that environment and and they're just brutal like the kids are just honestly brutal and ask me why are you skinny why do you do this why do you you know and it's just like i had to have really quick replies Going back to your question, when I launched in 2015, I did 88 hours of selfies. So I did 11 days at eight hours a day. And that's a lot of uh, research. That's a lot of comments. That's a lot of like uh, experiences. It's a lot of joy. I could give 15, 20, maybe two minutes of, of joy to these people uh, that why not? That's, that's what the season's all about. So it's just one of those things where people haven't had their photo with Santa for years, and now they can't. What went into the look of Fashion Santa? Was it a team effort or Paul's own vision or a combination of both? I had the help of a very good stylist in uh, Montreal. We put together some outfits, but I see this, my vision is to see, always see him as a very sleek, very fitted, very stylish. Yeah, the look is totally mine. The one thing about Fashion Santa or the fashion element about this character is that 
Now I'm wondering if it has to change in a way that fashion changes or if I just keep on with the same image and the same kind of look. I mean, fashion changes so quickly and then you know, trends set in and I haven't decided if the look evolves or the look stays. Considering that all of this started when Paul was mourning his mother, what would his mother think of all the success in something that basically honors her. I don't know what she would say, to be honest. I, I, I'm sure she would be very happy. I think it's a driving force and the momentum behind what I do. So everything that I do going forward, again, is to cherish and celebrate her. So what better way? I mean, you just have the, you know, the love of, of your mother behind you, I guess. Santa Claus is the magical spirit of Christmas that sparks the giving in our hearts. Fashion Santa does the same thing and more. He brings out the child in all of us. And he's much better dressed. Business beyond bizarre. There is a man in Connecticut who has an extremely large number of pairs of Crocs. His name is Doogie Lish Sandtiger. While you can always find one person who claims to loathe the footwear and doesn't have a single pair, Doogie is at the other end of the spectrum. He doesn't have five pairs, or a dozen pairs, or even a hundred pairs. Doogie has 2,100 pairs, and counting, of Crocs. How did this fascination with the Crocs-like material, which is a resin and is neither plastic nor rubber, begin? It started 16 years ago, going on 17 years now. Don't plan on stopping anytime soon. The story behind it is I grew up in the foster care system and I didn't know how to tie my shoes amongst a bunch of other activities of daily living and just normal things that kids are supposed to learn, like how to tie their shoes or how to tie a tie or how to shave or things like that. But I was embarrassed to reach out to people. I was embarrassed to ask for help, especially as I got older. And then Crocs came out in 2002. And then I would see people wearing them. I didn't really like them at first, which pains me to admit, because it's a love story now. It started out with me hating them, actually. I thought they were very ugly. But once I got older, I was like, I can't keep getting away with not being able to tie my shoes. I saw this lady in my neighborhood who was gardening. She was wearing a pair of the Crocs. And I was like, it's kind of a loophole. I can wear Crocs and they don't have laces. They slip on. They're kind of silly. And I kind of embraced them for how silly and, and ugly they were. And I was like, that's kind of like my personality. And I, I will wear them and get away with not knowing how to tie my shoes. Nobody will ever know. Wait a minute. I think now we all know. So let me get this straight. You are a man in Connecticut in his 30s who can't tie his shoes. Is that accurate? Listen, that's a secret. Maybe I can, maybe I can't. No one will ever know but me. Okay, we have to pause here for a moment. Back in Season 1, Episode 6 of Business Beyond Bizarre, we talked to Professor Shoelace in Australia. That was a man who not only perfected the idea of how to tie a shoelace, he invented a method where your shoelaces will never break. I'm going to have to hook these two guys up. Anyway, we now know when Doogie bought his first pair. So, when did the numbers start to escalate? So, as I started getting older, another thing I didn't really care for was 
dressing nice and and just feeling good about myself because I had so much going on in my life at the time. So I didn't really wear nice clothing or anything like that. But then as I got older, it started to feel better when I started wearing different color Crocs. And as I, I was like, oh, that's a cool red pair. Let me get a nice red outfit to match that. That's a cool blue pair, etc. And it was only a few here, a few there. As a motivational tool during his foster care days, Doogie decided to keep a bucket list, sharing with himself all the dreams and aspirations that he wanted to achieve. Can you guess one of the items that was on that list? One of the items on that bucket list was randomly, I just put it on there. I was like, okay, I really like Crocs. It would be so cool to me if I owned 366 pairs of Crocs, which if you do the math, that's one for every day of the year, including a leap year. So I didn't want to have February 29th come and go and not have a pair to wear on that day. So once I had reached that initial goal of 366 pairs of Crocs, I never planned on it getting this big and where it is today. I never planned on owning thousands. And yet, here you are. So, how did Doogie get past 366 pairs to where he is today? As I was scrolling through the pages of my bucket list, you know, seeking the next adventure, I saw there was one I had put on there many, many, many years ago. It was a breaker set a Guinness World Record, but I didn't really have any cool talents that would get me in there. So it kind of like a light bulb clicked in my head. I thought to myself, if I have 366 pairs of Crocs, what is the world record? How can I either set or break that? How can I break the record of whoever set it before me? So I went onto Guinness's website where they have the database of every single record ever set in there. And there was none for Crocs. So I reached out to them. They said nobody had ever submitted before. So I was like, that's pretty cool. Let me keep going. Let me keep collecting. Let me let me get a cool number. So I reached 744 pairs, just a random number a few years back. And I had this wave of confidence where I was like, that's a cool number. Over 700 pairs. Let me try submitting then. So I submitted to Guinness and then the rep got back to me and explained to me that I was running unopposed essentially because nobody else had ever submitted and they wanted to see a bigger number. They Their suggestion was a thousand pairs or more. So once Doogie hit a thousand pairs, suddenly he didn't feel like that was a large enough number. So he shot for 2000 pairs. And when that was in his sights... Guess what? Once I hit that, I that fire and that passion just was still inside of me and I thought, no no no, I'm going to I'm going to keep going until I hit 3000 pairs. So that's where I'm at now. I'm on the journey to 3000 pairs and then I'll reassess from there. You know, this is like being a marathon runner in the desert with no other runners. You're at the starting blocks alone, and when you get to mile 20, you look behind you and see nobody. Yet you keep running. Anyway, at this point, one needs to know, what does all of this cost? So an average basic classic clog, usually about $49.99, and that's U.S. dollars. And then, you know, maybe a little more intricate of a design, about $54.99. But once we reach the collaborations and the limited editions and the very rare and exclusive pairs, what those pairs retail for and what they were actually worth are two completely completely juxtaposing numbers. So 
in my lifetime, I have spent probably over $150,000 of my own money. And that's on all the Crocs, all the accessories, the gibbets, charms. And I also collect Crocs memorabilia. There's some vintage clothing items. They have figurines and all sorts of toys and collectible items that are Crocs branded. So I collect all of that. So think about that number, $150,000, right? That is what I spent. But what it's worth and what it was appraised at, I had it appraised and it was valued, total value, $370,000 based on the worth and the rarity and of some of the exclusivity of the items. A guy who is spending that kind of money to have that many pairs of Crocs and its accessories, you'd think that the company that makes them would be bending over backwards to keep this cash cow ambassador of their brand happy there's a few pictures that have gone viral of me over the last few years of just like me like laying in my crocs collection or hanging out in my croc cave etc and they've reposted a lot of them on not just crocs us site but other international croc sites and i imagine that they're they're happy they're probably enjoying this from afar it's making them money because of how many people i've turned from croc haters to croc lovers how much business i've probably bought them they have sent me some stuff here and there but i i can only imagine that I'm helping their business. They're helping me enjoy my life. It's kind of like a mutual understanding we have of each other. But don't you think there should be a special Doogie-lish Sand Tiger croc out there that they will support and push? You should have your own line of crocs. (laughs) That would be be crazy and amazing. That would be so cool if I had like my own little series going on. Who knows? The sky is the limit at this point. Like I said, this collection, it just keeps going. It keeps expanding and It's just become such a meta thing now with all the attention it's getting. I never expected this interesting, well, I call it interesting. People call it weird. And I like to differentiate between the two because I don't think it's weird. People who don't understand think it's weird. But the way it's gone and the way it's still going, I think anything could happen at this point. Doogie is happy. He's healthy. And he enjoys what he does. The only thing that I think is weird in this whole story is that the company that he so generously supports and touts hasn't reached out to him in any way. Now that's a crock. Next time on Business Beyond Bazaar. We'll meet a man who has built a tiny house that replicates NASA's Apollo lunar lander. That's one small footstep in square footage, one giant leap for eco-friendly homes. And you'll meet an artist who couldn't go out to buy paints during the pandemic, so she ended up painting with coffee. And now the popularity of her art is good to the last drop. This has been Business Beyond Bazaar, a presentation of Flying Fish Communications and Group Fairplay. Play.